1: weekend is here. I hope you enjoyed it. The, um, you know, I, uh, it's funny the way your brain works, right? I don't know if everybody's brain works this way, but mine does. It just goes. Uh, one, you see one thing or experience one thing, and it makes you think of another, and then it makes you think of another, makes you think of another, makes you think of another. All of a sudden, you start looking at uh, this pencil, and all of a sudden, you're thinking about uh, tax reform. It, you know, it's, it happens to me all day long. It's real. It's a real struggle, honestly. Um, I don't know if anybody, everybody deals with that, but I do. I, it's very easy to get distracted, but at uh, any event my son is very into cars now loves cars everything about cars loves playing cars loves looking at cars loves uh, walking around and pointing to cars and yes he likes the movie cars now i, I never saw the movie cars and uh, my my wife had it on for my son the other day and i recognize a lot of the voices and she'll say oh do you hear that person uh, who's that and i said oh it's that person you hear that person who's that uh, who's that person and a lot of big people in this film and I, um, she gets to, uh, how about Doc? Do you know who Doc is? I said, yeah, that's uh, I think that's Ed Asner. I, I interviewed Ed Asner about it, I think. And she says, nope, try again. I said, what? It's not Ed Asner Cause it sounds like Ed Asner. And then I listen again, I can't place it, but it sounds familiar. And she tells me it's Paul Newman, Paul Newman. She said, yeah, this was one of his last films, if not his last film, before he died. And she mentioned it to me because I'm a huge Paul Newman fan. Love everything that Paul Newman did. Uh, I mean, The Hustler, um, The Color of Money, um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Sting. you know, Film after film, I just love. And made me think of some of the films that he made later in his career. And there's a number of ones that I enjoyed. Twilight with Gene Hackman and Susan Sarandon is quite good. And there's another film called Nobody's Fool. I don't know if you've seen it. It's really interesting. Melanie Griffith is in it. Some other people are in it. But it's it's a fun story, not an overly complicated story, relatively simple. And this doesn't have – I haven't seen it in years, maybe 20 years. But this doesn't have anything necessarily to do with the plot. But it's one of the kind of subplots is Paul Newman does not have much of a relationship with his son. And through circumstances, he develops a great relationship with his grandson. And his son is just amazed, in awe, that someone that was, in his view, such a lousy father can be such a great-grandfather meaning a wonderful grandfather. And that's been a trend that we've seen in many different aspects of cinema and in television, where somebody's not a, great, not a great parent, but they are a very good, very loving, very caring grandparent. And this is all from watching the movie Cars, I'm thinking about this. And then I'm thinking about my own life, and both my mother and my uncle, her brother, did not have a great relationship with, With their father, my grandfather. And, you know, they say uh, that, you know, you use the phrase from a different generation. Well, he definitely was, but also from a very different culture. I mean, he lived in Italy and was born in Italy and spent his formative years in Italy and came here in his 20s. So he just didn't grow up Americanized. He he viewed the world very differently than people did, than they were were who grew up here. So, in any event, my grandfather and I were exceptionally close. He was very kind to me, incredibly kind. He would call me, you know, he spoke with uh, a, a thick broken English and a thick Italian accent. He would call me Frangin. That, you know, because everybody else in my family calls me Frankie, he would m- make it Frangin and uh, or he would call me faccia brut, which was sort of that means ugly face, but he said it, you know, as a term of endearment. So, um It got me thinking that uh, my mother has remarked, many an occasion, about how, you know, for lack of, this is my word, not hers, how crummy a dad her father was and how he didn't get along with her at all, but how wonderful a grandparent he was. And I started thinking of other examples in my life, friends of mine, distant family members of mine, who had really troubled relationships with their parents and yet when they had children they had their grand their their parents that they never got along with had a great relationship with their children so i said let me research this a bit let me see if there's any data any research to to show how common this is lo and behold i couldn't find anything couldn't find any uh, anything beyond just people speaking about this on Reddit and other uh, other cinematic references to it, and there are many. But it got me wondering, why do you think that's the case? I have my own theories, but why would someone who is almost an absentee parent, not involved in their child's lives, if they are involved in their child's lives, it's through uh, cruelty, How can that same person, when they become a grandparent, be such a loving, supporting, and caring grandparent? I'd love to know if you have a theory as to that or a thought as to that or even some examples in your own life. Someone who was a crummy parent for whatever reason. And became an incredibly wonderful and supportive grandparent. 800 9222 That's 800 9222 I think the grandparent relationship is uh, so important in a, a child's life. And uh, I really... I I say this to friends of mine that have children but don't get along with their own parents, that you should make an effort to at least see if your parents want to get along with your children. I have one friend that I speak about this frequently with. She doesn't talk to her father. And I said, well, you know, even if you don't talk to your dad, and, you know, I understand the reasons why, maybe just see if, you know, he would like a relationship with your kids anyway. And, you know, like most of my suggestions, they go unheeded. But I I think part of it is... I think it's a variety of factors, and obviously every situation is different, but I think part, and if you want to comment, 800 848 9222 I think part of the situation is that a lot of times part of the reason that you're absent as a parent or even as a wife or a husband is because you're busy with work. You're busy. You're tied up. You're doing this. You're doing that. And uh, then when you're, it's your time to be a grandparent, all of a sudden, you're not so busy. Maybe you're not working 10 to 12 hours a day. Maybe you got the time to be a little bit more present. I think that's a big part of it, if I had to say maybe the biggest factor. Secondly, I think part of it is, like many respects and many different areas of life, you learn from your mistakes, you see how your relationship with your children has turned out, and if it's not for the best, you think, well, you know, I don't necessarily want that same thing for my uh, grandchildren. I want a different type of relationship. Curious what you think. 800-848-9222. Now, in my case, I'm very blessed. I have a a very good relationship with – all my parents and step-parents, great relationship, very loving, very supportive and if possible, they're even more loving and supportive of uh of my son, uh, even better grandparents than um, you know, than they are parents. So, you know, it does not apply to me at all vis-a-vis being a, uh, you know, the, in the 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 parent in a grandparent to grandchild sandwich. But I'd love to hear if you have a theory as to why that's the case, if you have any idea of how common this is, or if you have any specific examples from your own life as to why this is the case. eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two 848 or examples in your own life of this happening. eight hundred eight four eight 848 3 open lines if you want to comment. Let me just finish the, because I got cut off last hour, my last comment on the uh, anti-Zionism, and anti-Semitism and Congress deciding this is the kind of thing they need to pass a resolution on. Look, there we have free speech in this country, and that's a wonderful thing, and the First Amendment gives you the right to comment and say whatever you want. I don't think that um, expressing a political view, which is what anti-Zionism is, it's a political view, I don't think that that's the same as anti-Semitism, but even if it was, or even if it were, I don't think Congress has any business commenting on that. I mean, if you look at the First Amendment, it says Congress shall make no law. I mean, I think the implication of that amendment was clearly Congress shall pass no resolution. Now, this resolution is not a law, but is this really the business of Congress? I don't think so. I think Thomas Massey did the right thing. Just as, look, um, I hear a lot of people who say that, you know, they? not a lot of people, but I hear several people that say they don't think Israel should exist. They have a right to say that. I also hear people say that um, Jeffrey Lickman said this when he was on this pr- program, in words or substance, that they should turn uh, the Gaza Strip into a parking lot. He said when, you know, I asked, what would you like to see done? He basically said that he'd like to see an, an, a, Muslim, a, a Palestinian Adam and a Palestinian Eve basically saying everybody should be killed there. Now, he's got a right to say it. I hosted him on this radio show when he said it. So, um, you know, I think people should feel free to express their views as long as you're not being violent. And I don't think it's the business of Congress to say that, you know, say they should. not Ed on Long Island, what's on your mind, Ed?
2: Good morning, Frank. I'm speaking to you both on my personal experience and also I've been a professional social worker for 50 years. So my dad died uh, 64 years ago when I was seven and a half. And my mom, uh, what do you call it, couldn't deal with it, so she wasn't the best parent. But as a grandparent to my son, who's now 39, she was a good grandparent. So I think that that, uh, sometimes they can't be good parents for a number of reasons, and then they turn out to be good grandparents, like you were saying.
1: Why do you think that's the case? How come? What changes in a person or a person's view of of children and family?
2: Well, I think sometimes, you know, they're, they're older. When they become grandparents and more mature, they sometimes feel guilty uh, the way they treated, uh, you know, uh, their children. So they can be better grandparents. Because, again, that child goes home at night. But I always tell parents, make sure that maybe what was done to you as a child isn't done to your child, uh, to the grandchildren.
1: I, I like uh, that, Ed. Thank you. 800 848 Ellen is in New Jersey. Hi, Ellen.
3: Hi, Frank. I think, uh, well, first of all, I agree with what you said and the previous caller. I think it's a number of factors, starting with the fact that when most men become parents, they're pretty young, 20s, maybe early 30s and they are at the point where they're just starting out in their careers and either they are doing very well and getting incremental uh promotions, bonuses and so forth so they're that that acts as an incentive for them to keep on putting in the extra hours or they're doing poorly and they can't mm-hmm. make ends meet and they feel like they're letting their family down so i think it starts out partially is the drive that men have to provide for the family and when you're just starting out you've got to put in the extra hours i think um again what you and the previous caller just said when you become a grandparent you're about 20 30 years older you've made your way in the world and you're probably uh better off financially So you can relax a little bit in that aspect. You've proven yourself at your job and you don't have to work all the hours. And as everybody said, hopefully look back and said, hey, you know, maybe saying that I was trying to do the best thing for my family by never being there for my family because I was always at work wasn't the greatest thing because I missed all those Ball games. I missed all those school ballet recitals. I missed hanging out with the kids and having fun. And now, as a grandparent, they've got the time and they can relax. I like a that. Yeah. A friend of mine also interjected that it may have to do with the lowering of the testosterone. That then brings down that drive that men have when they're young to, you know, get out there in the world and fight for everything and become the king of the hill.
1: Oh, that's interesting. And that's something that I hadn't considered. So your friend was saying that. The kind of, uh, you know, raging testosterone that men have in their, um, I don't know, mid to late 20s when they're first becoming parents very often, that's not necessarily present in their mid to late 60s when they're becoming grandparents.
3: Exactly. It's a physiological change. And one more thing um, that (laughs) a lot of grandparents, I think this is their motto, um, we can leave or send the kids home when things get a little bit tough so you know they're not and i don't i don't mean this the way it sounds but they're not stuck with the 24 7 burden of being a parent they can have the kids you know on a weekend for a couple of hours but then they know that the their goal that you know their grandchildren are going back to their parents, and it's just a part time thing. Hey, Ellen, so those are
1: my three ideas. I think that is so astute. Thank you for calling. I think you really expanded my understanding of the subject very much. Well done. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. 9222. Josh is in the Queens. Hello, Josh. Yeah, hi Frank. How are you? Hi Josh. How are you? Um. So, I actually think the the
4: last call really hit on um, the the heart of it. Uh, I, I really think that the reason why uh, many people are not great parents and better grandparents is it's about the stress of dependency. Uh, I think that many young parents become overwhelmed by the stress of utter and complete dependency that children have upon them. And uh, that often brings out feelings of insecurity or doubts about their ability to provide. And I think uh, when you're overcome by those feelings, you actually resent on some level uh, the the object that has made you feel this way.
1: Any uh, Any examples... From your own life that you can point to? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think
4: you know, I I, I observed that my own parents uh, were far better grandparents than my parents. <laughs> you know, I've seen them with uh, with my children and my brother's children, uh, and they're much
1: better grandparents than they were parents. And I think it had. Been. Josh, I'm sorry, I I lost you. Josh, you got cut off there.
4: I think it was, uh, again, uh, I observed that my own parents were much better grandparents than they
1: were parents And and you think it's that stress of dependency that you were alluding to there? Yes. Okay,
4: well, I like that, Josh. Because I felt it myself when when I was, uh, you know, a young man
1: yeah uh, it makes sense Josh Josh thank you have a good weekend 800-848-92-22, 800-848-9222. Mike is on Staten Island what's doing Mike good morning Frank great show thank you
5: all right uh I agree with the caller a couple, uh, a, couple a couple of calls back I'm not sure about the masculine toxicity type of thing but now that you have a child you'll you will understand certain certain things I'm saying. So I had Lindsay, you know Lindsay, I oh, had sure. I had yeah. her when I was I, right. I had her when I was twenty two. So at twenty two the weight of the world came down on me. I'm sure you felt it when you had money. You know, we feel, oh, here it is, I'm a father, I have to, you know, make money, I have to be able to send them to college, everything. And like most callers are saying, you you don't have the time at, at that point. As they get a little older, they don't have time for you. And that's where it comes in. So as the time goes on and my kids started expanding their circle of friends, you know, they didn't have time for me certain times. Now, Ethan is my grandson. That's Lindsay's son. We get him a couple of weekends a, uh, a month. And I have plenty of time for him. I'm semi-retired. I'm not really worried about retirement anymore, you know. All of these things, that
1: you have to bear in mind. Well, I mean, that makes sense, Mike. Uh, that makes sense, uh, you know, from on every on every level. So uh, I uh, I get it. I get the time commitment. I get the responsibility aspect of it. I get the stress of it. Uh, that makes sense. And, uh, yeah, I, I can empathize on a few different levels. Mike, thank you. Have a good weekend. Give my best to Lindsay. 800-848-9222. Noam-laden coming up in uh, just a couple of minutes. He has some other news stories that the mainstream media may have missed or sometimes, you know, I hear stories that he does that then get picked up by other stations. And I thought maybe that was just me, but you know what happened uh, a week or two ago? I got an email from a news anchor at another radio station, a news station. He said, hey, I'm just letting you know, I stole from you. I was listening to you and I heard you guys say blank and I did the story. Here it is. And I appreciated the fact that he was at least coming clean that we were his source material. So hear it on our show before you hear it on every other show. That's going to be our new mantra. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Brandon is in New Jersey. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Frank. I uh,
4: have a personal experience. Um, most of it's you know hearsay through my mom, but uh, my maternal grandmother wasn't you know the most loving parent, even you know when I was alive. She uh, never really said, you know, I love you or anything to my mom. But, um, you know, she was always very doting on me and uh, and uh, generous and everything. So a lot of times like I would wonder if it was more of a, a mother-daughter dynamic, like if there's some jealousy there. So I wonder if that's an aspect to some of these cases uh, not all. But. Well,
1: what, did your mother have siblings?
5: Yeah, a uh, brother and... Um, she was much more
4: favorable to the brother. I mean, she would still you know, yell at him and stuff. But, um, but yeah, uh, my uncle probably got the better end of the deal.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I hadn't considered that, but that that makes sense. Maybe the there is sometimes uh, a generational competition that exists among people of the same gender, uh, and you know, I know it may sound silly, but you know, sometimes uh, you know mothers can become a bit jealous of daughters. Uh, some fathers do resent the day that uh, their their son can beat them in an arm wrestling match or something. I, I get that. Maybe that is a factor at play. That's another one that I. I hadn't uh, considered. Brandon. thank you. Have a good weekend. You know, I have to tell you, I'm so glad that I raised this and so glad that I brought this up because so many people have raised so many different uh, aspects to this. When I was kind of brainstorming with what stories to bring up, I uh, I said, I don't know if anybody's going to be interested in it. I'm so glad that I did because I learned a lot. Um, from all, everybody's conversations, especially Ellen. All right, gnome. You always learn a lot from gnome laden. He's going to join us in a moment. Uh, this is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead.
0: The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. for an appointment, or newbridgehealth.org. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
2: Coming home, Dad, I don't know when But we'll get together then You know we'll have a good time then My son turned ten just the other day He said, thanks for the ball, Dad, come on, let's play Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today I got a lot to do He said, that's so way but his smile never did. It said, I'm gonna be like him. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna be like him. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. The little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're
1: coming home, that I don't know when we'll get together. 33 then. minutes after the hour, you it is that time back again, back. again where we get to get a little bit of an update on what's going on. In the news, and maybe even behind the scenes of what's going on in the news, as part of. Stand by for the other side of midnight's news.
0: From New York City, the other side of and its affiliated stations present National and International News with Frank Marano and News Director, Noam Laden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story.
6: All right, good morning, Noam. Good morning, Frank. Have you bought all of your Christmas presents yet? I know it's still early.
1: Uh, no. Yeah, not even close, <laughs> not right? Not even
6: close. Do you know what? One of the big items this year... And I did some research on this to find out if this is actually true, because I had seen this floating around. One of the big presents under the Christmas tree this year will be a firearm, a gun. Black Friday sales at gun shops across the country were just huge, huge. I mean, numbers they have not seen in years, people out buying guns and They're doing it as presents, not for themselves. For the most part, the store owners across the country say when they talk to their customers, because, you know, most places you have to do some form of background check where they hand over that gun. And when they asked, who's this for? I'm putting this under the Christmas tree for someone else. One of the people we talked to was a guy named Johnny Dury. He owns Dury Guns in Alabama. We see a lot of people coming
5: in and buying personal protection guns, especially a lot of them, their wives or girlfriends. We see a big rise in that it seems to be a a good present for the ladies' uh, personal protection guns. It gets so busy here in December just as a normal big uptick with Christmas and hunting season and all that stuff going on.
6: Yeah, so he says uh, ammo rifles flew off the shelves on Black Friday when he did a total of sales. He said he could not remember a Black Friday being as good as this past one was. And he says it has continued for the last two weeks since Thanksgiving. Huge sales. Uh, The FBI, so we checked in. The FBI says, yeah, Black Friday was big. They confirmed it as well. The FBI completed 215,000 background checks on Black Friday alone. That's up more than 11% over last year. So uh, the chance you might have a gun under your Christmas tree this year, pretty good, apparently.
1: So... I mean, obviously, the gun laws in a state like New York are very different than the gun laws in a state like Alabama or Alaska, for instance. But what are the rules generally when it comes to gifting a firearm? When the FBI says they're doing all these background checks, are they doing it on the purchaser or on the gift recipient?
6: Yeah, well, you asked an excellent question, and there's a bunch of layers, and it really depends on the state where you're Mm -hmm. buying the gun. Others – some states it's relatively easy to buy a gun – for somebody else, there's still a background check that has to be done on anybody who's going to hold that gun. It doesn't matter what state you're in, but uh, depending on where you are, that background check can be done awfully quick, and uh, you can still—I find this fascinating. You can still surprise someone with that gun.
1: You know, you well—that's kind the of what rules, my question you know, was. I mean, it's—I uh, would think. It- I mean, I don't see how you could do it in New York. And no, you surprise impossible. someone with a gift of a gun in New York? No, in most
6: right. East Coast states, and that's not the case, right? Uh, down South, different story. Sure, uh, but again, it is every state. It's it's vastly different from state to state. But there are places where that gun under the Christmas tree this year will be a surprise for the loved one Got who's it. getting it.
1: Okay, yeah. well, that's interesting. Well, enjoy your uh, your guns for those of you that are getting them. Yeah.
6: Uh, North. Somehow we missed this, Frank, or maybe you didn't. But this group, a really interesting group out of uh, Northern California, they're called Reliable Robotics. They launched and landed a pilotless plane last week. It was controlled from the ground. It did a 50-mile trip. The, uh, they said it was no problems. Of course, they were worried about how this plane might go. The Reliable Robotics CEO, Robert Rose, says um, this flight was boring and sees that was the good news. The hope is uh, that would be uneventful, and it was, and he says the technology and everything they learned from this initial flight will allow for um, them to do more uh, autonomous flights uh, with the hopes at some point of the FAA saying, yeah, you can do flights without pilots, which I do to me sounds a little frightening. But here's the guy from Reliable Robotics, or actually two people from the organization talking about the launch of these pilotless flights. We as a species, we as a nation possess the capability. Of a more advanced level of automation into airplanes. We we just need to do it, and that's where technology like ours that enables uh, automated landing, automated takeoff, automated taxiing is going to go a long way to improve safety.
2: You're going to see that the market is growing, but it's going to
6: be growing very slowly because. Of the government and because of the perception of the public. Yeah, so the government, they think, is going to get in the way of this. But really where they're going aiming first is military aircraft, right? So the same idea of flying a drone to do some damage to your enemies. Well, how about if you had an airplane doing damage to your enemies? Uh, Maybe that would be even better. So they say, look, we did it. Pilot this plane. Uh, Just like an autonomous car. And uh, those are on the roadway now. So they think it's going to be a while. They're being realistic about that. They're saying, you know, it's not going to be tomorrow. People just the thought people are already afraid to fly as it is. Mm -hmm. The thought of telling somebody they'd be on a commercial flight. I mean, that's really probably a long ways away. But being on a commercial flight without a pilot. they're they're not so optimistic about that. But cargo flights. Uh, military flights, that, they say, may be sooner than later. And what's sooner than later for cargo? I mean, they're talking the next decade or so, okay. maybe more. All
1: right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I'll, I'll be eager to see how this uh, this turns out. I mean, from a military's perspective... Uh, you know, I kind of see both aspects of it. I mean, if there's a way to avoid having a fighter pilot's life be in jeopardy, that's great. But the, does that make people a little bit more adventure, you know, prone to military adventurism if they're not risking human lives?
6: Right. No, no, no. Or, and then, of course, there's the problem of someone hacking into that. Fight, oh, no doubt. Absolutely. Which As is we, we we've, it's been proven can be done.
1: No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Well, that is interesting. Have you ever lost a piece of luggage? Th- thankfully, I have not.
6: Well, millions of Americans have. And the question is, what happens to that luggage? Mm-hmm. So you lose a piece of luggage. Uh, the pot, I will point out, the airlines are amazing at getting your luggage back. Now, it may be long after your vacation is over, <laughs> you know, which kind of sucks. Right, but at least you get your stuff back. But you get your stuff back. And usually what they do is they cut you a check And uh, uh, for your trip while you're doing that, and then you have some money to spend on clothes, and then maybe later on you'll get reunited. But more times than not, 99.5% of the time, airlines reunite you with your luggage more times than not during your trip, during your vacation or wherever you may have gone. So they're pretty good at getting Mm -hmm. your luggage back, but that still leaves 0.5% of the luggage that never gets uh, returned Mm -hmm. or never gets claimed. So what happens to that luggage? There is one organization, they are in um, Scottsboro, Alabama, they're called Unclaimed Luggage. They take in all of the luggage that is never claimed by anyone. And you might guess there's all kinds of fun stuff in this luggage. And what they do is they go through it all. Anything that's like uh, shampoos and soaps like that, they just uh, throw out or they recycle. But then they take the clothes, the shoes, the headphones, the wedding dresses, the gifts, and um, they clean them up if they're used and they put them up on their website, which is called Unclaimed Baggage. And there's unbelievable deals on this website. Like wow. if you go there now, You have to get past the fact that somebody might have used some of this stuff before. So like, I don't know, some people might be freaked out by a pair of Air Jordan sneakers that you don't know how many times someone has worn but what they do is they'll clean up that pair of sneakers and you'll get it for about a third or maybe half wow. off of what it might be at the store. Um look on here now there's some good stuff on here. There's great stuff on there. Um there's um headphones, you know, high-end headphones, Beats, um uh Air, air you know, pods, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, that are like half off. But again, you have to get past the idea that somebody had that in their ear. Yeah, but they clean them up. Right. They clean them up before you get them. And then there's just tons of clothes, um, really high-end designer jeans, um, dresses, wedding dresses. They have Endless stacks of wedding dresses. Now, why nobody ever came to claim these and uh, there's no connection (laughs) made to the person who owned it, we don't know. They stopped asking that question in Scottsboro, Alabama a long time ago. It is a 50,000 square foot building. They bring in a staggering 7,000 new items every single day. So they have an endless supply. If you go to the warehouse, which I'm kind of curious to do, they have a museum inside. That they show off some of the most weird stuff that they found, including um, there has been like a body of armor that was found, um, a, a piece of a crane, a piece of a space shuttle... I mean, all kinds of weird stuff that people had in their backpack. Uh, so you, the museum is pr- uh, great; it has all these oddities. It's become a popular tourist attraction in the area. And then, of course, like any tour, it ends in the gift shop. But the gift shop goes on for miles. Yeah, I, and I'm you gonna, can buy all
1: kinds of stuff. I'm going to do some shopping uh, on this, you know, on this website for Christmas. I think. W- why though does this one company get the right to all of the unclaimed luggage? So I knew you were going to ask that question, Man, and I see. called
6: down there and I asked them how did you get this contract they've had it for years upon years and nobody there knew why (laughs) so how they had it nobody else seems to have it but um they all these items go to uh you know this unclaimed baggage or some sort of fee you know transferred between the airlines and this company and uh if you go to the site it is endless items i mean this is incredible isn't it and, you know, obviously what, of course, a good shopper will do is you'll look and see, hey, how much are these beets normally? And right. they might be $700, and they're selling them for like $350.
1: Yeah, this is really interesting. Um, you can get rabbit pelts on there. Yeah. You can get this books on here. This is really, really wild. I mean, uh, some nice sunglasses on here. I, yeah, really, really looking... high-end
6: sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. Again, goodness. you have to get past, you know, somebody wore them before. Yeah, I'm over you, it. You might not go for the wear, but, you know, go for the <laughs> pants, the shirts, the sneakers.
1: <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Nome. Sure. I hope you have a good weekend. You too.
0: And now you know the rest of the story.
1: Speaking of the weekend, uh, Nome and I were just chatting off air about our weekend plans. And uh, I'm looking forward to, see, today, uh, I think I could say this because my... Brother Nicholas does not make a habit of listening to the show live. If he listens, he listens on the uh, on the podcast. But uh, you know, my brother Nick is uh, he's approaching a milestone birthday and he's having you know, a birthday gathering in Miami, or the Florida Keys, actually. And we're not able to go because you know, you can't take the time off and it's expensive and I got a lot going on, you know a variety of factors. So uh, he's been under a lot of stress lately for a variety of factors, you know, professionally, and uh, his mother-in-law just passed away. So on, uh, you know, tonight, my brother Alex is having dinner with him, and he suggested to... You know, my sister and me says, why don't he tells us that he's having dinner with Nicholas says, "Uh, why don't we do a uh, which we very rarely do this? Why don't we get drinks after dinner? Just the four of us. So uh, just just a sibling cocktail outing, which we very rarely do. We actually only do that. When one of us gets married, generally, just the four of us, no one else. So I'm looking forward to that. And it's kind of a surprise for him that he doesn't know that uh, Claudia and, and I are coming. So that'll be that'll be fun. Now, that allows my wife to engage in one of her favorite holiday traditions. Do you remember the film Home Alone Well, uh, my wife loves that film, Home Alone, with Macaulay Culkin. Some people say my son looks a little bit like Macaulay Culkin. You can take a look at his uh, photo on Instagram and be the judge for yourself at Morano Vision. And so during the holiday season, there's a lot of instances where I have to go to something, a Christmas party or something, and she doesn't want to go or doesn't get to go or doesn't have time to go, and she'll, she'll still end up staying home. So every Christmas... She watches Home Alone by herself. And you remember this one scene in Home Alone where Macaulay Culkin orders a pizza and, you know, he's kind of uh, aggrieved at the beginning of the picture because he's got to share this pizza with his other family members and all of his cousins and everybody. Well, you know, the, then he gets the house to himself and the first things he does for one of the first things he does is order a pizza pie.
6: lovely cheese pizza just for me.
1: So my wife watches Home Alone by herself and then orders a pizza pie for herself and then usually we'll take a... I mean, there's always leftovers. She doesn't eat the whole thing. And then we'll usually take a snapshot of the pizza pie and share it on uh, on social media as part of her experience. And uh, I said, well, that's nice. That's what you're going to do? That's what you're going to do tonight? She says, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. She said, I made the mistake two years ago of inviting a friend to come over and watch with me. And I know the friend, great lady, but she talked the whole time, ruined the whole experience. It's about watching the picture and eating a cheese pizza, not talking. So she is not going to uh, not going to invite anybody over today. So she'll get a nice home alone, a night home alone when she picks what she puts Carmine to bed. We'll light the menorah before Carmine goes to bed. I think uh, my cousin Deanna, who's a very prominent attorney in her own right, she's going to be the person lighting the menorah. And we told her, you know, you can join us for our weekly happy hour drink at 5 o'clock. Then light the menorah and and leave. We don't want anyone lingering. We don't want anyone talking. When, When people do a quick in and out. So she agreed to those criteria. So that'll be fun. And then uh, tomorrow we're actually going to my sister-in-law Sharon's for the uh, holiday celebration that we're having with Rachel's side of the family. So Rachel, as I was just mentioning to Noam, is, is one of nine. So I think we're getting together with six of her siblings. One's in California and one happens to be doing some holiday stuff in Canada. So I think everybody else is going to be around. So, so we'll see. That's our weekend. Matt Blaze, what do you have planned this weekend? Relaxing as I do every week. There you go. Now it's, I got to ask you something big. about this menorah lighting. Do yes. You, do you say
5: the prayer, Frank?
1: I don't. I don't know all the words. Could, I mean, you could there. You could just read it in English. Yeah. No, Rachel usually does. She Rachel says all usually. three. The three prayers. Uh, are there three? There are three. No, no, we don't do all three. We yeah. do just uh, the popular one. Yeah, <laughs> a Baruc- Catalog- one. Illinois kind of deal. Uh, 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 but no, you want to come over? You want to do the menorah lighting uh, tomorrow night? I haven't in a menorah in a while. Exactly. You do. It'd be great. I mean, we, usually we have a Gentile do it, but but that'll be great. I'll be happy to have you I'll over leave you for the fun. Gentiles, yeah. Now you you don't want to come over, okay? But um, what what I was gonna say. So that's uh, that's tomorrow. We're going to Sharon's then, and, and then I have to get this New Year's Eve, Eve invitation done. I, I'm getting deluged with text messages and emails. What's going on with New Year's Eve Eve? What's going on with New Year's Eve Eve? I I'm gonna spend a big chunk of my day today working on finalizing the New Year's Eve Eve invitations. Uh, I'm going to make an effort to not go to bed when I get home, stay up, work on this for a little bit, and uh, at least make some progress. And hopefully by Saturday morning, because usually you know, it's difficult on the weekend to snap back to a regular schedule where you are awake during the day and asleep at night. So on Saturday morning, I'm going to try and get up early. Maybe I'll even do one of those videos that people seem to like on Facebook, and uh, I'll answer any questions people have in that video. And then I will uh, hopefully get all this New Year's Eve Eve situation uh, squared away. But uh, for those of you that have been waiting on that invitation, you're not the only one. I'm working on it, I promise. All right. All right. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in a moment. If you have a question or a comment uh, that can be said in 15 seconds or less, please call in 800 848 9222. Straight ahead.
0: The other side of midnight. Other Side at Midnight with Frank Marano.
5: Monday or no Monday, Tuesday's a good day, Wednesday's a Wednesday, Thursday's a good day.
2: Friday's great, cause I can hardly with until the weekend.
6: I should be clocking in the night, but I'm a little late. Can't get my baby, cause I'm still a day Treats and then it's Friday again. Here come the weekend, here on the weekend, here on the weekend, the rent we be so tough, I think I've had i end up until
1: comes the weekend. Uh, let me also wish a uh, happy birthday to my friend Noelle Salvati. Unfortunately, we did not get uh, a chance to play any of her bumper music. It was stuff that we mostly didn't have. But uh, she is a great person, a beautiful woman, very successful professional, and uh, quite a tennis player. And I know uh, one of the fellows that she plays tennis with listens to this show on a regular basis. She's just such a nice person and somebody that just lights up a room And if anybody is deserving of having all of her wishes come true, it is uh, Noelle Salvati. Maybe I'll see her at one of the many Christmas uh, or holiday parties that I'm attending in the next two weeks. Um, We used to play softball together. She was a decent softball player, but I understand that she is a much better tennis player. You know, it's funny. I got an email yesterday from someone that says he can never get through on the 15 seconds of fame, and the thing that drives him just bonkers, is that Raji always gets through. And sure enough, I'm looking at the screen now, Raji is not only on hold, but he's been on hold for 20 minutes. So, you know what? Raji takes this 15 seconds of fame very seriously. You got to line up early, I don't know. And, you know, as I said to this gentleman, I said, you know, we go through the calls quickly. So, I mean, if you get a busy signal when you try and call in, Call back again in thirty seconds because nobody gets more than fifteen seconds. So literally, a line is opening up every fifteen seconds from now.
0: The other side of midnight. This is fifteen seconds of fame. fame. Neil.
2: New Year's Eve is a cheese extravaganza. Don't forget friendship cottage cheese for Ella Mixture. <laughs> Fred. High upon a daffodil, I couldn't hardly reach it. I wanted to get that daffodil and give it to my teacher.
5: We want the floridories, we want the floridories.
2: Raji. Warning, the Chinese are hawkishly gawping and salivating at the prospect of Taiwan as the U.S. continues to depleting her arms and cash in the Middle East and Ukraine. Thank-
1: Maria. Hi everybody!
2: I found that train whistle. You ready, Frank? Listen, honey.
1: That's not bad. Not bad, Ray.
2: Kudos to Norman Lear for a great life lived and a great TV man. And to all the rest in peace to everybody involved in uh, December seventh and uh, Pearl Harbor attack. God bless,
5: Timothy. Yes, they are legalizing drugs because it states in the Bible to be found sober when Jesus returns. Read the Bible, know the truth. Charles.
2: Yeah, um, uh, Frank, I need you to do me a favor, please. I waited a very long time on the waiver to explain fully five different reasons why 99% of anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Frank. Yeah,
4: it's the old town of the Blue Mountains, Frank, calling, telling you that 34868 will be hit on the Dow either Monday or Tuesday. Could be today. Have a great Christmas. Peter. Sisamoron, cissamoron, cissamoron, cissamoron. Anthony.
2: Cheech. Hey, Kathy Vega had it right on your Facebook page. Adam's got a 28% approval rate from New Yorkers. The lowest ever. I wonder who are the 28%?
1: Roger.
5: Bill O'Reilly's new book, How to Get Away with Throwing Your Wife Down a
2: Flight of Stairs, forward O.J. Simpson. Merry Christmas, everybody. Rocco. Yes, happy Hanukkah to all my Jewish friends around the world. Around the world. And and you, Frank, you want to be vice president for Lincoln or Kennedy? Because then you become president. I'm not you sure you it's a job president. I
1: want. Anthony.
2: Number one to the caller, Frank, you got to keep using speed dial. That's how you get on. Number two, time to turn the cameras in New York City off the streets and put them into the classrooms. Put them in the classrooms now. Let's see what they're doing in there.
1: And finally, Joey. You remember Rosemary's baby, Frankie? Well, Trump is Mary's
0: baby. Frank Moreno, good day.